Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss the exciting science behind HRV and how you can apply it to your own health and the work that you do. Just a note, this podcast does not replace medical advice, and if you're going to apply this to your own life or others, please consult with a medical provider. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Uh, this is Jeff back again with uh, my co-founder of Optimal HRV, Matt Bennett. Hey, Matt, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Jeff? Good. It's been a week since uh, our last episode and uh, really looking forward to getting into some hardcore science today. I know uh, you're excited for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, just want to warn everybody listening that we're going to get into to some pretty advanced scientific topics today, but I think it's really important, and I know, Matt, you know it's really important to better understand heart rate variability. You need to understand what it means to your brain and the nervous system, and you, know, you do a great job of, at a high level, well, more than a high level, at a detailed level, sort of getting into that in the book. Um, so I think we'll take an opportunity to do that today, and, and hopefully educate a lot of people like you did me on exactly what's going on inside your body with uh, heart rate variability. Sounds fun. As we were talking before the podcast, uh, I think this will be uh, some of our listeners' favorite episode <laughs> ever. Other people stick with us through it because uh, it yeah. might get a little heady at times, but uh, I think when we understand our biology, things like trauma, things like stress, homeostasis that we talked about last time, uh, start to just make a little bit more sense. So uh, uh, I, again, I know some of you just flat out love this from the very start. Others, really, if you can stick with us, uh, just so you know, when I started to learn about the brain, I found a few good books on, uh, I got good audio books. I, I, I was getting CDs at the time in the mail. Uh, I listened to those things like a hundred times just to like pronounce the amygdala the right way. And how do you say hippocampus? And, you know, so, so if you feel a little bit lost, feel free to just rewind and listen to us again. We're also going to uh, put a few visuals up here. We'll try to verbally communicate this, but uh, this is also, and you can find the video at uh, heartratevariabilitypodcast.com. Uh, so if you want the visual, that that often helps. But Jeff, I know I'm going to do a lot of talking uh, on this episode. <laughs> so, so I want to ask you, my friend, uh, you know I'm a brain nerd. Uh, as somebody who's in tech and sales in the business realm, how much of your days do you think about things like the amygdala and prefrontal <laughs> cortex? How, how often does the brain uh, come into your tech meetings in your fancy tech world? Uh, it, it doesn't. It, <laughs> it, it really, in, in, in two words, it doesn't is the best way to answer your question. And it should. And, you know, it, it certainly does in other ways, um, but not, not like this. And people in, in the sort of private world, enterprise organizations, large software companies, um, or the banks, finance institutions, all the customers that we work with, uh, they need to care about this stuff. It affects yeah. everybody. It affects their performance. It, it affects their wellness. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a completely foreign topic. And, and to your point, to the folks who may, who are like me and, and aren't, uh, don't have a science background, maybe don't have proclivity to that, um, definitely stick with us today because as, as Matt 
educated me on this topic. It became, you know, something that, that, that made a lot of sense and really helped add context and understanding to why HRV is so important and, and you know, really what it is. And without knowing what it is, it's hard to really apply it to your day-to-day -day life. So for me, it was nothing I'd ever been exposed to in all the various meetings I've had with you know, very high-level people. Um, this is not what we're talking about. And I know yeah. a, lot of, a lot of your clients and a lot of your, your partners, that's very different. But you know, for the quote-unquote average Joe, this is not part of your lexicon. It's not part of something you're thinking about on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And that's been part of the fun for me is, is just uh, you know, learning something new and, and understanding how to apply it to, to my day-to-day -day life. So, you know, maybe as we jump in, Matt, I know you're going to talk a lot of science here um, soon, and I'll do my best to follow along as well, but um, heart rate variability. Variability is, everybody understands heart rate. You yeah. know, how many beats per second is, is your heart beating over a, a period of time? The variability is the interesting thing about HRV that really is sort of the, the secret sauce, so to speak. So maybe talk a little bit about that. What is the variability? What causes it? Um, you know, and then I'm sure we'll relate that to some, some, some brain pictures. Absolutely. So, um, uh, Jeff, can you see my screen here that I shared? Awesome. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to start with the autotomic nervous system because let's get variation, uh, uh, going first. And if, if you're, if you're following us on, on YouTube, you'll, you'll see this picture. I'm, I'm not going to talk a lot about it except from uh, basically everything we're going to talk about today is kind of a 30,000 foot view. Um, things like the amygdala now have, I believe, two peer view journals. I think the prefrontal cortex itself has three to five. The hippocampus has one. So when you talk about the brain and the nervous system, there's just so much complexity. And while the complexity is sort of interesting to learn about, uh, we'll try to keep this very practical. So to your first question, what, what causes this variability? I want to I wanna nerd out a little bit here and talk about something called the polyvagal theory. Um, polyvagal theory, uh, for a lot of our audience, you may have heard of the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Um, historically, we've talked about the sympathetic system as the fight or flight response. The parasympathetic system often gets the label of rest and digest. So those were sort of the two. So if you're, um, your parasympathetic's engaged, you're relaxed, uh, you're more cognitive, whereas the sympathetic's engaged, uh, you're going to be more anxious, uh, more on edge, um, maybe angry, maybe with, you know, you're running away from your stress or you're attacking the stress. But um, uh, Stephen Porges, who I'll, I'll just give a heck of a lot of credit for, uh, started to realize that things were a little bit more complex than that. And actually, uh, Stephen Porges uh, was one of the earliest investigators into heart rate variability and is uh, still uh, very, very fascinated uh, with this. And I know he's reading the book, so if, if Dr. Porges is listening, a uh, huge hero of mine, um, and an open invitation if you ever want to come on the podcast. Uh, so let's talk about his work with polyvagal theory. So we want to break really our autotomic nervous system. So we're sort of talking about the brain stem, which is at the very base of our brain, kind of moving down our body. Then we'll, then we'll pop up to the head. So there's three levels here. One is called the ventral vagal. And this is where polyvagal comes. The vagal nerve is a cranial nerve or a nerve that starts in the neck. 
And so the polyvagal or the ventral vagal is covers, has nerves that go up through our face and our inner ear, uh, our lungs and our heart, which is obviously going to be big for our, our variation. Now, uh, uh, Porges and others say this is our safe and social part of our, our nervous system. So one of the things, and as, as we do this at a time of COVID, uh, people will have an example of this that historically we really haven't had. Think about how much of your emotions are communicated by the part that the mask covers, right? Um, I, I complain to Jeff about every day how people in my neighborhood are walking around without masks. And I have this look of disgust on my face. And I'll, I'll look at them and stare them down. But I've got a mask on. So it looks like I'm just crying or the sun's in my eyes. Because you cover their throat, my disgust looks very different. And so ventral vagal helps us communicate socially. Um, and it also is when we, we'll talk about the prefrontal cortexes, but when we feel physically and psychologically safe, that's when the ventral vagal is activated. So you can think about that as like the top of the level. There was a Dana, I think I'm getting that name right, uh, wrote a good book on polyvagal theory and therapy. Um, and she talks about the ladder. So when we're regulated, when we're emotionally healthy, when we're not sensing danger in our environment, we're in our ventral vagal state in our autotiming nervous system. Now, the next rung down the ladder is the sympathetic. So this is kind of the mid-chest area, uh, kind of the sternum diaphragm, that sort of area, lower lung area. And again, that's the fight or flight response. Now, normally, our first response to danger or an accumulation of a great load of stress is the flight response. If you think about yourself driving down the interstate and a car swerves over into your lane, most of us won't swerve back into the car. We will swerve out of the way. So um, human beings being fairly weak in the animal kingdom, especially evolutionarily, um, if we saw a tiger and the tiger didn't see us, our best chance of survival was to get as much distance as possible from that tiger. Now, if we can't escape the stress, then we'll go into the fight response. So that's if the tiger got us pinned, you know, in a corner, um, we're not just going to give up right away. We will fight like heck um, against that tiger to try to save our life in any way possible. If the fight response, so again, we're, we're safe and social. This is where most of us hopefully on this podcast spend most of their days. Sympathetic, we drop down the ladder to the flight, then fight. Then we got something called the dorsal branch of the vagus nerve. Again, this is also a parasympathetic system, and that's in our gut. Now, this is on this ladder, this is a shutdown or freeze response. And so if everything else fails with this tiger and the tiger's going to eat me, it's really good not to be totally present with that experience. So we actually have this. Um, you can see this uh, if you grew up. Uh, I know Jeff's a Colorado guy, so he doesn't understand this. But if you grew up in like the south or the Midwest, you know what a possum is, right? Stupidest animal on paper, right? It, you, it just like when it gets scared, it just clumps over. And unfortunately, it was doing that evolutionarily before we had cars on the road. Um, so uh, they were road bumps when I was in sc school in the south. Um, but we have that same sort of system. So 
one of the things we know, predators do not like to eat things that are already dead. Or, yeah, and there's some great uh, videos on YouTube about this. A gazelle will, a uh, tiger will catch, or a lion will catch the gazelle. Gazelle's stiff, rigid, you know, looks dead. Uh, lion hauls it back to the den, goes to get uh, the family to go have dinner. Gazelle pops up and runs off. So it's kind of a way to save us, but also, if we're going to get eaten by the tiger, it's really good not to feel every bite. Uh, so this is where from the my trauma folks, where we might disassociate as well, where we disconnect from reality. Again, it, it's a survival technique, though, again, long-term consequences for uh, people who have been uh, systematically abused over time. So, so that is the final. So we got ventral vagal, we've got sympathetic, and then we have dorsal vagal. Uh, obviously, so, so let's talk about how things might go wrong in this system with things like stress. So if our sympathetic is overactivated, and we'll talk a lot more about trauma in a future chapter, that's where we see a lot of uh, people with anxiety disorders have more sympathetic activation. There's more anxiety, uh, anxiousness, uh, maybe comes out as anger sometime. Um, for folks struggling with depression, we might see more dorsal vagal. Um, activation. Um, if there's more activation in this, it kind of throws off the whole system, unfortunately, as well, where we see, um, as, as I, I believe we mentioned in a past podcast, that uh, drops in heart rate variability, which measures the health of the system, is really predictive of nine out of the 10 leading causes of death. Um, this because when the system gets off, the dorsal vagal being the shutdown, but normally if it's activating on a healthy level, it's uh, immune system and digestion. So if your immune system starts to deteriorate, there's something called leaky gut syndrome, which is like the grossest disease you can ever have, in my opinion, because all that stuff that should go out of your body is leaking into your body, uh, creates a lot of inflammation. All right, so now let's bring this to together for what causes heart rate variability. To get into this, we got to talk an another term to throw at you here, another vocab word uh, for you is sinus arrhythmia. Um, this is really the, the relationship between our breath and our heartbeat. So every time we breathe in, we activate the sympathetic nervous system. Now, this is a slight activation. It doesn't mean every time we breathe in, we're ready to fight or flight. We, we activate the sympathetic on the inhale, and the heart rate starts to speed up. Then on the exhale, we activate the ventral vagal. Another uh, vocab word here, this is often called the vagal break. So what that does on the exhale, it slows the heart rate down. So inhale, the sympathetic activates, heart rate speeds up. Exhale, the ventral break puts and the heart rate slows down. So when we talk about heart rate variability, um, what, what we're looking for is the more variability, the better. And again, we're measuring this in milliseconds. So this is it. I mean, if your heart is really off whack and there's variations of seconds, that, that's not a good thing. But, but when we look at these millisecond differences, that sinus arrhythmia, the difference between the inhale and exhale, if there's robust sympathetic activation, which means in this case, I have the energy I need to bring to my life to be successful, but then I have that ventral vagal activation, which means I, I can be social, I can be cognitive, I can be the problem solver, I'm emotionally regulated. That's when human beings thrive. And that, that strong ventral and sympathetic back and forth 
create high heart rate variability, which is an indicator of mental, medical, social, cognitive health, which is why I get so excited uh, about heart rate variability because there's, it's hopefully I did an okay job of explaining it, um, but it measures so much because this autotomic nervous system is connected with 80% of our body's processes. So this thing, and if you're seeing the picture on YouTube, um, this thing is all over our body. Vagal nerve means wanderer vagabond. So what we see is that it's all over. It's attached to our digestion, our immune, our respiratory, our heart. Um, connection, as we'll talk about here in a second, to the brain as well. So if this system is operating at peak capacity, in other words, if you have a good heart rate variability, uh, you're ready to roll. You're good to go. Uh, life can throw things at you. You have that flexibility to react um, in a very, very healthy way. So, all right, Jeff, I, I know I, uh, I I did this pretty quick here, so. Uh, no, that was, that was good. And, and I think what, do you, brought, what, do you, what do you got for me on follow-up? <laughs> you, know, you brought that t together well, and I think really helps people understand why you know, we are so passionate about HRV and not only just athletic endeavors. Yeah. Because if you look That's at your, your body and your system a whole, as a whole, it's all governed or 80% of it is governed by your nervous system. And yeah. so muscle strength and recovery is certainly important. Um, but so is everything else in your life. And so, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we don't want to just use this, this really cool biometric to decide how hard am I going to lift today or how long am I going to run tomorrow? That's one piece of it for sure. But it's, it's a lot, it's a lot more. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, now that we kind of understand what that variability is and where it sort of comes from and what it impacts, talk a little bit about stress and yep. what does stress do to impact your heart rate variability? Excellent. You, you, know, well, you mentioned sympathetic and parasympathetic are, are sort yep. of you know, precursors to that, I think, right? Right. So let me put, let me put a picture of a brain up here because that's, that's going to help us uh, with this. And uh one of my, I love that my life takes me and I can quote people like Hermes now. And uh, if you don't know who Hermes is, uh, we'll have to do, I, I don't know, Jeff's going to have to reward me. I'm going to have to be a good boy in the business realm of some sort uh, to get a whole episode on him. But he's, you know, if there was like a European shaman, uh, you know, tarot cards kind of came out of his tradition. It's, it goes back to ancient Egypt. Uh, but but uh, I just love the fact I got to quote him in the book. And, and when I say quote him, not really sure this uh, person really ever existed. Uh, but it has this famous quote, as above or as below, so above, as without, so within. And so what we see with how our autotomic nervous system is operating, it's reflected in also how our brain operates and our brain has a couple different systems and if you again I'll try to do this verbally for those that don't have the picture up in front of you but there's one and I just kind of want to knock this out of the way because it, it's a pretty simple um, most of the stimulus especially through our eyes and our ears goes into central parts of our brains the thalamus and the, the brain stem or, uh, that leads to the spinal cord the cerebellum what these central brain areas do is they're always looking out, am I safe or am I in danger? 
So the really easy one to knock out is that if a tiger walks into the room you're in right now, you're no longer going to care about what I'm saying. Maybe I'm doing a pretty good job. I got you engaged <laughs> right now. But that tiger is going to take precedence over me. So if, if a danger or somebody, you're listening to this car, and I don't wish this on anybody, but somebody swerves over into your lane, all of a sudden you shut out, the, you shut down the cognitive side. You shut down or mostly shut down prefrontal cortex or that cognitive functioning. The, the thalamus activates the amygdala, which activates something called, uh, the directly, excuse me, activates the sympathetic nervous system for a flight or fight response. So if you have immediate danger in your environment, in a split fraction of a second, your sympathetic system's online, active, ready to go. Again, evolutionarily, we, had, we didn't have the privilege of the tigers running at us. We didn't have the privilege of sitting there and contemplating what we're gonna do for five minutes, right? So there's this one, uh, it's, it's the A road here. Uh, you know, it's the quick thinking road, the survival road. Some people call it the, the reptilian brain, whatever it is. But there's that real hardwire connection. Our brain in many ways, Jeff, is designed to keep us alive. Um, now, if you're sitting here listening to this and you've got to think hard, when was the last time my life was really in danger? Just sit back and enjoy that privilege for a second because some people don't have that in their life and historically we definitely didn't. So let's, but let's look at where we're operating for the most part. If you've got the picture, there's this higher road in the brain. And you know what, again, what Hermes said, as below, so above. So when we are emotionally regulated, when we're cognitively and socially engaged, we've got the ventral vagal, which sits on top of the autonomic nervous system. Same thing in the brain. When our brain is engaged cognitive, socially, and when we feel safe, we, our brain sends stimulus through our cortex, which contains a lot of our memories, into the front part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex. Now, prefrontal cortex is the superstar of the brain. I know even Jeff, who hasn't talked about the brain, doesn't have to nerd out about it like I do. I know Jeff's heard about, the, everybody's heard about the prefrontal <laughs> cortex. It's the problem-solving, future-thinking part of our brain. So it gets all that good press um, along the way. The thing it doesn't get as much attention for, though, is how it helps to regulate our emotions. And when we talk about stress, this comes in really powerful because the, the, after the stimulus sort of gets processed by the prefrontal cortex, then it goes to the amygdala. And the amygdala is part of the limbic system, which really, and emotions are so complex. Uh, even the smartest neuroscientists in the world need about three, 400 pages to tell you what an emotion really is from a biological perspective. But really that prefrontal cortex and then it goes to the amygdala and all this is happening at, at kind of a really quick speed. So you're doing this all the time. Um, not only are you listening to the words I say, but if the air conditioner is on, you're taking in that, the light, what's going on in the room. If you're driving, you're taking in all that stimulus. So this is a rapidly going process. So what happens when we start to get stressed out? is that the amygdala gets more and more active. And it starts to also, as the stress builds up, it starts to activate something called the HPA axis, the hypothalamus pituitary glenal glands. And so as we get stressed out, and I know we've all had this experience, uh, we can feel it viscerally, right? As we get stressed out, we get tense. I know my shoulders 
go up like this is a horrible look because I'm already lurchy as I'll get out at six, seven, you know, so I'm walking around like Frankenstein's <laughs> monster. And so here's this relationship between the prefrontal cortex and the cortex is, you know, especially in a time of COVID, we got all the stresses going on. You know, you're, def- you know, I get to watch Jeff parents some toddlers. It's so much fun, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and you know, the other day it was like, and, and if you want to see great parents, Jeff and his wife, I just, I, I, I cannot, the man's given up sports to pay. I mean, this, he wasn't watching March Madness because he's he had no TV at that. I mean, just like the greatest parents you could ever want for, but, but they were having a day. Uh, and it's like they, they offered me their children at one point, but you know, so, so even Jeff, uh, who's a well-regulated guy, uh, you know, when that amygdala gets triggered enough, you get to the point where you're like, if one more person does one more stupid thing or says one more stupid <laughs> thing, I'm just going to lose my bleep on everybody. But you don't, right? You take a breath. You realize that action you might want to do, even if it's in the deepest, dark part of you, you don't want to really say. Uh, you know, you take a breath, you enact coping skills, and you don't do what you want. You might want to do. You say the thing that won't get you fired, won't get you in trouble, so on and so forth. So that's that prefrontal cortex catching the amygdala. So again, when we see high heart rate variability, we know, and again, high heart rate variability is good. We know we've got that prefrontal cortex online regulating that amygdala. So from a biological per- perspective, we've got stress all the time. No, no matter what you're doing, there's, some, there's usually some stress involved in some ways. When we're healthy, when we've got that autonomic nervous system uh, with that high flexibility shown up in the variability, um, that also reflects that, hey, our prefrontal cortex is on. So this is where, Jeff, when we talk about cognitive health, right, emotional, right. mental health, um, this is what brings this complex uh, organ in our head called the brain into the heart rate variability arena as well. So again, for all you brain nerds out there, I know I'm giving you a quick flyby at 30,000 feet. But really what we're talking about with stress is how well can that prefrontal cortex help regulate that amygdala. And probably everybody on listening to us now can think about a time where that amygdala has got the best of you right? Where you did say the thing you wish you could have taken back right after you said it, where, you know, uh, you know, sometimes when machinery doesn't work for me, I get really, I don't get ticked off very often, but I, I did. I, I had, uh, my wife doesn't believe this because I'm a fairly regulated guy. I, I could never play like individual sports like tennis because basketball, you could kind of hit people and take out your stress. Tennis, like you slam <laughs> your racket down, but they were very expensive to fix. So, we yeah, can all probably different. look back at a time where that amygdala got the best of us. Um, and again, as we see the amygdala start to take over and stress increase, we see more sympathetic reaction. Our heart rate usually goes up. And again, we see a drop in heart rate variability. So it's an amazing thing also uh, to track that as well, which again, now, now we've got the health of the mind, the brain, and also we can follow that through the vagus nerve and the sympathetic nervous system all throughout our body. This is why when we look at like uh, the research around work stress, burnout, and trauma, yeah, there's a lot of mental health issues. Uh, we often think of anxiety, depression, and again, sympathetic with anxiety, depression, uh, dorsal vagal. 
But we also like, we can look at this from that uh, medical health perspective as well. If you're more, you're, your <laughs> sympathetic's more active or dorsal vagal's more active, it's gonna screw up your immune system functioning. It's gonna hurt your cardiovascular system. Um, uh, your sinus arrhythmia is gonna be thrown off. And again, so we can see what's going on in the brain, um, especially with chronic stress, we can see uh, long-term impacts on HRV. So it gives us this window into all this complexity and it gives it to us in one number. Now, if you look at the equation we use to get to that number, <laughs> it's more complex than what I just described the brain as being. Um, so, so there is a complexity to get to a heart rate variability measure. Um, but the great thing is, you know, tens of thousands, if not, we haven't hit 100,000 at this point, uh, because we see new ones coming out each day, articles support that heart rate variability measures how our body is handling or recovering from stress. So how well our prefrontal cortex is regulating our amygdala, how well our ventral vagal is sort of helping to put that vagal break on the sympathetic activation. So um, I know I, I went through the whole complexity of the nervous system there for you, Jeff. Uh, uh, well, give, give me questions. Well, what are your thoughts? Am I making any sense here? Well, you are, and then it's a good thing you got a book that, that sort of takes you through it and you can, <laughs> you can read it at your, your own pace. Yes. Um, no, but I, like we talked about, I mean, it's, it's a great sort of introduction to the science behind HRV, which I think is yeah. important for everybody to know. So, you know, if you're the lay person, you know, like I was a year ago when we first got into this, um, relate that to a daily reading. So, yeah. you know, you, you, you kind of took us through the, the various systems and what's, what's creating your HRV score. Um, yeah. so every, every day I'm in the morning, I'm taking a reading and, and so, what's it telling me obviously my ability to handle and recover from stress that's great but yeah. there's more to it right absolutely so so i know you know we encourage people if they're on our app and other apps do this as well to take take a morning reading um we we do that for strategic reading uh reason is there's been just less variables going on uh you can measure the it's kind of you get the restorative nature of your sleep or depending on how well you slept maybe not so much so, so what that, that, that one measure does is not a whole lot, honestly, but when you start to build up a number of readings over weeks and over months, really that gives you this nice baseline. And, and in the next episode, we'll talk more about states and traits. But once you have enough of your personal data, and you can also use population norms as well to see how you're doing uh, per your gender uh, and age, is it tells you, okay, here's, let's say my baselines, you know, we use RMSSD for any of the HRV nerds out there. Um, so, so let's say, you know, my average, I think right now is around 41. Um, so today I woke up with, I think of 42 and I've had, a, I'll admit, I've, I've had a difficult week. I actually did two virtual presentations at the same time on Wednesday. Um, I had some <laughs> East Coasters that wanted demand, like a, my friend. <laughs> yeah, a late night show. Like, like it's been, it's just, just been, you know, this, this, this really exciting, but, but also stressful week. So it's like, I'm, I'm doing okay. And, and I, I have a little time. So, you know, I knew my body, my mind was in pretty good shape. I had a presentation to give today as well. So I was like, you know, I have some time. My HRV is good. I need to go for a run. Now on Thursday, after my crazy Wednesday, where I did like three virtual presentations, two going on at the same time, um, 
is I woke up um, Thursday morning and my heart rate variability was around 28, uh, which isn't terrible, but it says, you know, you're not doing so well. So, so for me there, one, I knew, okay, I need to get the work done that I need to get done because I probably have the energy to do what I need to do. I probably don't have the energy to do a lot more than that. Um, I also realized that, you know, I've had a tough week up until then. I probably need to do what I like to call an active recovery. So instead of doing a hard workout, I went on a three mile uh, walk with the dog in the evening. Gets really nice around Denver around seven o'clock. Um, though the forest fires right now make it hard to breathe when you go outside, but, 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 you know, it starts to cool off and, you know, it's, it's beautiful time of day and, you know, it's kind of fun to watch a red sunset over the mountains. So it's like you're on a foreign planet right now in Colorado, you know, but, but I, I did that active recovery because I wanted my score to recover today. So, so I get up every morning and like I said, if I'm a yellow, I'm go I still need to do my work, but I'm going to try to put any creative work. I'm going to try to front load that. And then it's a good time for me to like balance the books or do administrative stuff or write up some marketing material, like things that I don't need, like all my prefrontal cortex for. Um, today, even though I'm really glad it's Friday when we're recording this, uh, you know, I, I had that. So I had a lot of energy for my presentation, uh, knocked out a few other things that, you know, I did some marketing stuff for us yesterday afternoon, but I want to put my fresh mind on it this morning when I have more energy. So for me, it really allows me to plan my day out, um, both from physical activity, but also uh, the cognitive draining parts of my work as well. And if you know me, you know I love what I do, but at the same time, you know, doing three Zooms in one day, I am exhausted afterwards. So it's also paying attention to that recovery part as well. Let me, let me ask you kind of the same question, uh, because again, you have two small kids at home and it's kind of, you know, we, we, we launched this and we're testing it out uh, with, with a newborn uh, in the house or I don't know when newborns are not newborns anymore, but oh, to me, very, very tiny little thing. Um, yeah. Very cute, but tiny. So, I wonder, like, as you think about how this relates uh, to the brain um, in your own self, and, you know, I also, I, like, a follow-up question, too, is you got two small children whose brains are rapidly developing, uh, you know, with, with, your, with your young son. How, how old is it? Like, not He's 11 months, and the 11 other one's months. three. Yep. Yeah. So eleven and three. So you know, almost like your your son who's who's got who's less than a year, almost wakes up with a different brain every morning. Like I mean, it's it's rapidly developing to that extent. Three year old just crazy. They don't know what's going on. The best way a scientist ever described like a two to three year old is just like you know, if you've ever been really really drunk or really really high, <laughs> that's the life of a two year old, right? That's why they can <laughs> run into right. a wall seem like they're dying and then mom gives it a kiss and they're back up running into another wall. Like, yeah. you know, it's amazing to watch. So, so I'd love to get your, uh, you know, your experience this kind of as a parent and watching your kids develop, knowing their prefrontal cortexes are so young. Their amygdala is a lot more developed right now than their prefrontal cortex. And just get some of your, your thoughts uh, on this science. Yeah, it's uh, well. At first, I'm, I'm jealous of my daughter's HRV score. Number one, 
she was at like a 112 when I last time I, I took her score, her reading. So yes, it does go down <laughs> with was, age. So that was pretty uh, amazing. Yes. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, I'm nowhere near that lucky to be half of it sometimes. Yes. Um, yeah, it's 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 just it's just really good information. You know, whether it's for families, whether it's you know this this whole last year, as anybody, any parent or anybody who has been close to parents knows that the first year of a kid's life is a roller coaster, and yeah. and um, tracking my HRV through it has been pretty incredible. Um, just to see the variance, and you know, when he's not sleeping, the, the, the craters, you know, when he's sleeping or when I'm sleeping, I get much higher scores, and just things that you don't realize have such a big impact on your body yeah. are are they are and you know you know you're tired but you don't realize the level of, of tiredness you're feeling until you have some sort of metric like this to really understand it yeah. and so you know as you apply that to work as you apply that to exercise as you apply that to you know, just the whole emotional side of being a parent too i mean when you're yeah. exhausted and you got a three-year-old that's doing everything they can to um test your patience yes. when you when you have a when you are tired, your, your patience level is just so low and it's not because you want it to be. It's not indicative of who you normally are, but when your HRV score says it's, it's 12 instead of 50, yeah. it's no wonder why you don't have a lot of patience. And that yeah. gets back to everything you just talked about. You, you know, your emotional regulation um, is indicated by your HRV score. So for me, you know, you told me all this stuff and that's great and it sounds amazing and I can't wait to try it. And then over the past year, I've, not only found it out, but I'm a living example of, of how exhaustion, of how, you know, all those kinds of things, those wonderful things with having a newborn at home um, impacts, you know, it's more difficult to, to focus sometimes, you know, I yeah. mean, especially towards the end of the day when I'm on work calls, I really got to pay attention to focus. And again, all these days are predicted by that morning reading I take. And, and yeah. so, you know, are there calls that I can reschedule at 3 4 o'clock in the afternoon? Sometimes I do because I know by then I'm going to be worthless and, and I'm not going to add value to that call. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been eye opening. It's been, it's just been very interesting. And I, you know, I, I guess Matt, I don't know if we have time for one more question for you. Sure, Let's do it. Um, we are at, at optimal HRB big proponents of not only the individuals understanding their scores, but also bringing this to an, an organizational level and utilizing it for practitioners and healthcare providers and you know all kinds of, of client patient relationships or, or I'm sorry patient provider relationships as well as just the you know we have many customers who are just companies that want to provide benefits to their employees for for wellness purposes and other things like that so so maybe talk a little bit about how this relates to an organization and if you're a leader of a, a helping organization a nonprofit organization a for-profit business you know you're managing people you care about their performance but more importantly their wellness how do you utilize hrv and the understanding of, of what's going on in their brain um, to to do better and, and be better for them great question so uh, you, you'd have to really stretch hard uh to find a a job that doesn't where you don't thrive when you're in your ventral vagal and your prefrontal cortex when those things are actively online when those things are healthy and engaging strategically with, with the environment whether it's through social interactions or problem solving 
uh, whether you're a coder and working on a computer program or whether you're a therapist uh, doing the uh, emotionally intense uh, work of therapy. And so, you know, if you, the other thing that, uh, you know, I know got us both excited uh, about HRV is using this as a measure of organizational team uh, group wellness um, as well, because really a healthy work environment, this is where the biology I think really becomes practical. Um, is that if you think about it, if, if we just put our role self in a role of a, a supervisor or management of a team, the real goal with stress management is, you know, sometimes we say stress management and self-care. I don't think we really know why, what we're talking about. What we're talking about is how can we implement strategies that allow people to spend maximum time in their prefrontal cortex? How do we help create, and, and this is a little psychological terminology, but psychologically safe, where I know I'm supported by my teammates. Now I'm gonna be held accountable, there's gonna be expectations, all that still exists, but I know my, my, my supervisor's more of a source of support than somebody I have to like keep looking out over my shoulder because I'm scared they're gonna, you know, micromanage me to death. And, and you know, so if you want your team, if you want your staff, if you want yourself to thrive, in a workplace, a high heart rate variability means your workforce is ready to work, um, no matter what that is, right? If it's on a construction site, right? You want those, you don't want to be amygdala oriented, right? That's when mm -hmm. mistakes happen. Um, and again, if I make a mistake, it's one thing. If somebody uh, building a, you know, a skyscraper makes a mistake, very different consequences to that. So, when we start to look at the terminology, I don't think we've thrown this out here yet on the podcast. And, you know, I, I think we may have invented this word, though, if it's out there, uh, I will uh, apologize for that ahead of time. Email me, I'll give you credit for it next time I say it, but like a heart rate variability informed organization. So using this to say, okay, what is the health and wellness of our team? Maybe we had a, a tough deadline. Oh, well, if people are working 12, 16 hour days, uh, just, just really busting their butt to get things done, we should expect HRV in the short term to decrease, right? There, there's additional stress load. Now, if they start out from a healthy place, they can fall a little and still be good. That, that's, uh, that's one of the key things, right? So we don't want people right on the edge of dysfunction and mental illness. We want to build up that capacity. I'm kind of a good example of this, honestly, this week. I just haven't slept good. Um, you know, COVID sleep is, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I just, you know, I'm stressed out, but I exercise, I eat well, I do everything else. So I haven't seen a huge drop in my HRV score. So just like with the workforce, how do we do proactive things to keep our normal level high so when we have one of those really challenging things or a hard time at work, a hard stress, that we're going to dip down, but we've got a high baseline and then we do things reactively to get back up. So again, a healthy, uh, productive, uh, productivity comes into this, uh, good at problem solving, future thinking strategy, a socially engaging clients, customers, patients, whatever, whatever it is. A high heart rate variability is going to say, hey, match ready to go today. Jeff, yay! You know, he's got a few young kids at home. Uh, my, my, <laughs> my need is to be a little patient with him. But it also could say, okay, our team is also ready to go, or our team average 
is struggling. Our organizational wellness, to me, quantifying organizational wellness. How can we not do this, right? And, and so looking at these components um, in the work environment is, is so critical. I, I think the same thing, you know, if, if one of the, you know, I have a passion for is foster families. It's, it's a work environment, but what's the health of that, that system so we can maintain that placement? But the same thing at a bank, right? A bank with a good level of wellness are going to have a bunch of uh, bankers in their prefrontal cortex. Or there's going to be uh, more efficiency, more productivity, more creativity, more innovation, uh, more ethical behaviors, better team coherence and team culture. All the things you need to thrive in business are promoted by a high heart rate variability. You want to work your people to death? Yeah, you might get a short-term result, but long-term, your, your productivity, efficiency, morale, everything's going to tank. And there's a huge, huge cost to that as well. So, you know, again, it's one number, but it's a number because it measures something so central to who we are as human beings. It tells you so much. And then you can bring that in together for group scores, compare group averages to population norm averages and say, okay, compared to the population that represents this group, How's, my, how's the health and wellness of my group? To me, that's more a reflection on the leader and manager than anything else in the organization. Um, so, you know, we'll talk about leadership in future podcasts, self-care in future podcasts, because all this can inform that. And the concept of an HRV-informed organization to me is a very powerful one because, uh, yeah, we, we can really make decisions, uh, evaluate leadership, evaluate organizational wellness, connect this to other organizational outcomes? Uh, do we see better efficiency, productivity, as we should, as heart rate variability improves? You know, we can ask these questions against a biomarker, which again, I, I just, you know, that's why neither of us could let this go. It's like there's so much usefulness to this um, that, that it's, we, we need to do it. And again, whether it's uh, healthy, you know, for me, my passion is, you know, helping folks with addiction, homelessness, you know, you know, all these different types of traumas experienced. But, you know, I'm equally passionate that if, you know, uh, a parent or just anybody has a healthy work environment to go to every day, they're going to be a better person. They're going to have more energy for their family. They're going to have more energy to their community. Um, and, you know, a healthy economic uh, community is, you know, has a lot of benefits to it as well for families and individuals that live in that community. So uh, yeah, uh, I, I think that the future of this is so, so very exciting. Excellent. Yeah, uh, and I look forward to those future future episodes because there's a lot to talk about there. And um, you know, I think we're sort of building the foundation for those discussions right now. So absolutely. I think uh, that, was, that was a lot of science. I think there's a lot for folks to digest. I think it was, uh, important you know for the people that are following along to to have this session um and i think it really adds context to everything we're going to talk about moving forward so i hope everybody's enjoyed it feel free to uh rewind as necessary i know i had to read uh read through this many times to digest it just as matt mentioned at the beginning um but uh thanks everybody for joining we look forward to next week we'll uh we'll be talking about states and traits and i'm sure a variety of other things in the meantime, feel free to, uh, to visit OptimalHRV.com. And if you have any questions or 
more interested in what we're doing, um, just let us know. Also, just one final word. Uh, the book is free. You can download the ebook. Um, goes through it a lot slower than I do. So uh, listen, rewind this again. Uh, get the book. Like I said, it's free. Uh, chapter one, we hit this right away. Get to the practical stuff um, in the later chapters. But uh, yeah, again, I think we're going to be more and more brain informed heart rate variability informed. And again, for, for those in my world, uh, so, such an important thing in this trauma informed movement as well. So definitely check us out. Uh, also give us any feedback uh, that you have. This is episode three. I know Jeff and I are having fun doing this. Uh, if you have any suggestions, uh, please throw them our way as well. So thank you everybody. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Take care, Matt. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you're interested in more information about HRV, please visit us at OptimalHRV.com. Also, if you visit OptimalHRV.com, you'll be able to sign up for our email list and download our free ebook, Healing with HRV. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next episode.